Georgia Georgia The whole day through Just an old sweet song Keeps Georgia on my mind Said a Georgia, Georgia, a song of you comes as sweet and clear as moonlight through the pines. To reach out to me Other eyes smile this is KZYX Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Also streaming live at KZYX.org, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. This is the slightly delayed edition of today's local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Hello, Drew. Hello, Alicia. Nice song, song choice for the beginning. Thank you. Thank you. Nice little interlude. It seemed appropriate until, you know, until at least things went sideways in Washington, D.C. Why don't they want us to ever be able to celebrate anything? And, We're and, just starting to celebrate Reverend Warnock's victory. And Ossoff. They've and, called that now. Right, yeah. I know. So that actually translates, hopefully, within about a month to a $2,000 COVID relief check to every working class person in this county. So national news translates to local news um, in a very real sense. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so things are... Kind of crazy on the national front. Weren't you just doing a call-in show there, Alicia? Now you're doing another Yes, one. we're going to do another one. We had to switch gears from our armed insurrection in D.C. to our pandemic. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd even go f- so far as to call it an armed insurrection as to maybe perhaps just a, a, a collection of um, conspiracy theorists attacking democracy with the support of the entire Republican Party. Yeah, I might call it that, too. Yeah. Just don't call it a protest. Yeah, well. All right, so switching gears, local coronavirus update. Um, we There's just a lot going on with coronavirus in the county it's right been, now. You know, it's, it's been nationally busy. completely crazy the last couple of days, but it's also been an interesting few days um, locally. Uh, I think, yeah. actually, our local coronavirus news made NPR yesterday. It did. <laughs> we, were in the, we were in NPR. We were in the LA Times. Yes. Um, let's see if we can sort some of this stuff out for folks. Okay, well, why don't we start, before we get too far into the weeds, with running the numbers. Um, the county dashboard actually, I'm not sure if it's a glitch or if they've changed what they're going to report, but they're no longer reporting uh, total tests or pending tests, at least as of an hour or so ago. But we are still running um, about 31 cases per day in this county. Um, our total case count now is up to 2,714 uh, cases with approximately 650 people in isolation and or quarantine. Uh, our positivity rate is still frightfully high at 5.96, which is quite high indeed. But to put that into context, some counties uh, throughout the count- throughout the country are seeing a 50% positivity rate. So bad locally, much, much worse elsewhere in the country. Um, so it's, you know, it's still out there. There's still a substantial probability that if you're in a room with 10 people that one of those people is going to be carrying COVID right now in this county. So keep that in mind when you're going out and about. Um, Local hospital utilization is still controlled um, remarkably. Um, We currently have 15 total people in the county with COVID who are hospitalized, two in the ICU. Um, And I believe since our last show, one additional death, we're up to 31 county COVID-related deaths in this county. 
California, um, fortunately, has somewhat flattened um, its rate of climb. We are still seeing a high 30,000 uh, new cases per day, 37,000 in the last 24 hours. Um, but that's actually flattened out finally. So perhaps that's about as many cases as we're going to be seeing added uh, on a daily basis. Um, hospitalization utilization is still climbing um, as it's expected to do for at least another week or two. This is primarily Southern California still, primarily Sacramento Valley, extending all the way up to Sacramento, but not yet reaching uh, the Bay Area or Northern California. The consequence, however, of everything else filling up is we're going to start seeing transfers from Southern California into the Bay Area, which, of course, makes it impossible for us to transfer people down there. So things are getting really tight, really you know, faster, and it's getting closer. Uh, the local sort of dramatic event um, a couple days ago uh, was the Adventist deep freezer uh, failed. Um, failed in multiple ways, sort of the Swiss cheese model of failure, if you will. The, the holes all connected, so the monitoring system didn't sound the alarm when the compressor blew and the temperature um, climbed um, rather steeply. And then this was discovered about two and a half hours before the vaccine was going to expire. Uh, so there was an all-hands-on-deck sort of effort to get those 840-some doses of vaccine administered into the arms of people in the county. And remarkably, it happened in about slightly over two hours. Um, the yes, we found out about this while we were on the air. Uh, Dr. Trotter was guest hosting for you, and somebody called in and said they'd just lined up at the Adventist Church and gotten their shot. Yeah, and that so the show was at 3 p.m., and by then the vaccine had already expired. It was going to expire shortly after 2 p.m., that, at least that was the best estimate. Uh, so all of that sort of occurred between 12 noon and 2 p.m. on Monday. The unfortunate thing is it did not really go to the people who needed it the most. Um, and, you know, it's certainly good that it didn't go to waste, um, but it would have been better if it had already been in the arms of people who need it. Um, and right now the people who need it are the people in the county jail. Uh, there is a massive outbreak there. Um, over 90 people have COVID in the jail, and I think the jail population sits at around 330, 360, 260 right but now. It's, it fluctuates. It fluctuates obviously. quite a bit, I know. So, you know, it, we're talking one third um, of the jail population at least with COVID right now. And, you know, if, if there were 840 doses of that vaccine in a freezer Monday morning, that should have already been in the jail administered to every single person there. And that, frankly, is really the story. Compressors will fail. Freezers will fail. This is a fragile vaccine. It's one of the shortcomings of both of these two vaccines. Um, but the real failure is the fact that we are getting vaccine in this county and it's not going into the people who need it immediately. There should be at most a 48-hour delay. Um, fr frankly, it should be administered within 24 hours. I know we have a tiered system. That tiered system is logical, it is reasonable, it is fair, it is equitable and just, but it needs to, um, it needs to be done in an expeditious way and sitting on a vaccine to try to get it to tier 1A when 1B, C, D, E, and F all need the vaccine along with everybody else in this county just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Well, uh, one of the articles I read about our our statewide national event here was that this might be an example of how to get this vaccine out. Well, it's not hard to give vaccines. I mean, <laughs> I personally gave 100 and some flu vaccines in about an hour at the, at the high school parking lot. You just, you know, it doesn't take long. You, you have somebody who's writing down the vaccine vial number. You administer the vaccine. And in this case, you need to keep that person sort of on premises for about 15 minutes. And then that person goes on their merry way, knowing that need to come back in three to four weeks for the booster shot and that's that's not technically difficult to achieve it just needs to it needs to happen um and frankly i think it you know i i think we need to make that clear um to the people who are running the program in the county that when vaccine arrives in the county we need to get it into people within 48 hours period and frankly i also think we need greater transparency i don't know how much vaccine we have in this county 
and it, you know, watching the supervisor meeting yesterday, it's not clear that anybody knows how much vaccine we have in this county. Somebody somewhere ought to know, and whoever that person is should be talking to the person who runs the county dashboard, and we should all know where the vaccine is and when it's being administered and to whom. And that's just not happening yet. I think that is a really, really good point, and I think this is something that's happening in communities across the country, but I am noticing it here, is that as we come under the gun, as the surge gets worse, and as the vaccines come in and the stress is under every department in this county, uh, every clinic, every um, everybody who is uh, involved in any kind of pandemic response, I think there's an urge or an impulse to shut down keep things close to the chest mendocino county is a little bit famous for it anyway and i want to just encourage uh people to resist that urge and be, and and opt toward more transparency i'm noticing it with the the schools i'm noticing it with the sheriff's department although sheriff kendall's been quite transparent with with uh public health that seems to be just the the sort of hunker down position it's that we're just gonna we're gonna do what we can we're gonna just you know do it as fast as we can we're gonna have our committee we're gonna but i just want to encourage people please you need to get the buy-in of the community here we need to know what's going on don't shut us out have us be part of this conversation and let us know what's going on yeah, I just, you know, and, and frankly, you know, Sheriff Kendall, to be sure, tweeted sort of unhelpful anti-public health uh, messaging a month ago when we were trying to shut things down. So let's just be very clear that Kendall has not been entirely proactive in protecting his inmates. Tell us how you really feel, Dr. I, well, you know, I'm a little grouchy today. It's been a big day. I'm more grouchy than Anthony Fauci. <laughs> Cute. You like that? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, anything else that you need to get off your chest before we open up the phone lines? Oh, uh, you know, building bridges. I actually had a bit of an outbreak. Uh, they did public health did a very good job, sort of tracking a lot of unsheltered people down and testing them and getting them into temporary housing. Uh, Round Valley's had a bit of an outbreak that they have also not entirely contained, but walled off a little bit more. But frankly, there's so much COVID around us right now that yeah, it, it's it's a little bit misleading or misguided perhaps to talk about outbreaks within the county outside of the context of a either skilled nursing facility or jail or the jail it's hard to know how it could get more contagious with this new strain well you know and we we really are flying blind there i mean you know the united states in the many ways it has failed has utterly failed to have any genetic surveillance of this vex of this virus um and so we are running approximately three thousand uh, viral rna sequencing um cases a day in the entire country um and so that represents i believe about one tenth of one percent of what britain has been doing since march <laughs> um and so it's you know we don't, we don't really know where this strain is at this point and it's you know maybe it's already here maybe it's already sort of leading you know leading some component of this surge that we're seeing but we just don't have the data all right, shall we open up the phone lines? Sure. All right, it's 707-895-2448. We are an hour later than usual because of the events in D.C. and the special coverage that um, that preempted the 3 o'clock coronavirus update. So we are here at 4, uh, but still the same format. We're going to open up the phone lines. I have heard that Stacey Abrams might take over the vaccine distribution. Oh, so. We're saved. Yeah. We're saved. I believe she could do anything. <laughs> All right, let's take our first call. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Hello. Hello. Hello, Dr. Colfax. Hello. Way, way to go, uh, Adventist. 400 injections an hour. Let's rock and roll. I know it's it's pretty impressive. I I, I really feel like they they reserve they you know the the crew that mobilized really on momentary notice to get that done um, deserves kudos. You know they, they they snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. They really did. I mean we would have yeah. made national news if we had dumped 840 vaccines for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm just um I'm I'm with you. Just let's get them in people's arms. I'm ready and. We, you know, we, we spend a lot of time trying to convince, you know, all the people I hear, they're humming and hawing, just get to the back of the line, you know, you'll have plenty of time, you don't have to worry about getting your shot too soon, and uh, 
Don't jump in front of me is all I got to say. Well, yeah, and I just, you know, if there are people in any tier that don't want the vaccine, then you know, you move to the next tier, you know, expeditiously. You don't you don't wait for people to decide whether they want it. Um, and so right. that I that needs to happen, and it needs to happen in a real-time, you know, very short-notice sort of situation. We've known that this was going to be sort of the rollout for months. With this, it was quite clear that a vaccine was coming starting in September, and we had a good sense of what the timeline would be. I mean, I think I said back in September that I was hoping to get a shot by Christmas, and, you know, by gum, I did, um, which is fantastic. But, you know, everybody else in this county needs one as well, and it doesn't do anybody any good if it's sitting in a deep freeze somewhere. Right. We don't need to store it. No. And- it's, it's, it's a good example of what the administrative state is actually good for. Well, you know, it would be nice if we had a better administrative state at the national level for certain. Well, um, yeah, well, Steve Bannon's, uh, one of his uh, stated goals when he got in power there was to dismantle the, uh, deconstruct the administrative state. Now, that's what we've got, a deconstructed administrative state in it. It ain't administrating very well. Well, you know, that's that that's the problem, is you, you actually need a government that can function if you want to have yeah. an organized society. Well, well, thanks for the show, and I'll let somebody else get on and talk. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. All right, thank you. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Well, thanks for the show, and I'll let somebody else get on. Go ahead and turn your radio down, caller. Okay. Um, what I want to know is, do any of the COVID vaccines confer immunity? That means, do any of them keep you um, exempt from getting the disease? Yeah, so that's a great question. And really, the the data that we have from the clinical trials of the two vaccines that have gone through the Phase three placebo-controlled double-blinded trials show that they do not give absolute immunity, but they give a very high degree of protection, uh, which is to say the the rate of infection in people who get the vaccine drops by about 95%. They are 95% effective at preventing disease and remarkably they appear to be close to 100% effective at preventing severe disease. So, yes, they give you immunity. Is it 100%? No, but it's about as good as any vaccine has ever been um really, you know, brought forth um for any disease. Okay, thank you very much for mm-hmm. answering that. Yep. All right, thanks for the question. Mm-hmm. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Oh, hello. I heard on the radio yesterday that 40% of the deaths here were nursing home patients and 60% were Latinx. That makes 100%. I don't know if that's true. There must be some people that were not in those two categories. Could you speak to those who are not in those two categories, um, please? Sure. So I, I actually don't have the breakdown on the deaths by um, residents or by whether they're um, Latinx or not. I can say with a very high degree of surety that the pandemic is still affecting the Latinx community disproportionately in this county. Um, it's about 65 to 70 percent um, you know, on new cases in the county. And that's that reflects, you know, that that is also then reflected in the people who are hospitalized. I can also say with a great degree, great deal of certainty that the people who have died from this, if not um, the majority, um, perhaps very nearly uh, 50 percent, have come from um, skilled nursing facilities in the county. Um, but not everybody has. And actually, we've had some fairly relatively young uh, people die from this disease who were, um, you know, in relatively good health before contracting COVID. That has happened in this county. We haven't had a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old die from this disease in the county yet, but that has certainly happened uh, throughout California. And frankly, until we get this under control, it's really a matter of time before we have a young, healthy person succumb to COVID in this county. That, That will happen if we don't get things, you know, under control. And so, yeah, I just don't have the exact numbers, um, ethnicity, um, or any other data on those 31 uh, fatalities that we've seen so far. Obese diabetics? 
obesity is a huge risk factor for doing poorly. Um, diabetes is as well. But the biggest single risk factor um, of doing for doing poorly once you have COVID uh, is age still by far. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the call. This is the uh, delayed version of the local coronavirus update. We're here from... How late do you want to go? Well, why don't we see how long we can make it. All right. So we're here starting at four and (laughs) until, I guess, until the calls dwindle. Uh, (laughs) So we were preempted at three o'clock by the uh, events in Washington, D.C. and the live coverage. So we're here at four o'clock. I'm Alicia Bales in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. And let's take our next call. Let me just remind you the phone number, 707-895-2448. Oops. Call back caller. There you go. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, those of us that have been sitting around that are in front-facing occupations, in my case, agriculture, that you know, we're supposed to be fairly high on the list. And then we hear that 840 vaccines just went out in a matter of two hours. And, you know, I have not heard clear articulations on how this supposed list of priorities of people are supposed to be done. How would you be notified? I mean, as a member of the Farm Bureau and registered with the Ag Department and such things, I assume I'm known about. However, I have not seen anything that says how I get on a list or how I do it for somebody who is in one of the front-facing occupations. And I'm hoping that uh, Dr. Colfax can clear that up. And did I hear correctly that Adventist Health blew out their compressor and then was giving out vaccines at the Adventist Health, at the Adventist Church? Is that actually true? Yeah, so the the compressor failed around 2 a.m. Monday morning um, is the best estimate, according to sort of the ten- temperature sensor uh, in that deep freezer. And it wasn't discovered until around 11, 11.30 a.m. on Monday morning, um, just by circumstance of somebody actually opening the freezer and realizing it wasn't as cold as it should be. Um, and, this, and these are all freezers, to be clear. All of these medical freezers, these pharmaceutical-grade freezers, have temperature monitors in them. Um, and they also have alarms. So somebody somewhere should have gotten the alarm. But unfortunately, uh, the temperature sensor was working, but the relay to send the alarm failed as well. So it was two failures, simultaneous uh, bird strike, if you will. And then when it was discovered, they had about two hours to mobilize and get the vaccine into people before it would go bad. Um, And so uh, a call went out to get as many people vaccinated as possible. I can say that... Who did they call? Well, I can say that a email went out to providers um, at around 1245, so about an hour and 15 minutes, um, you know, trying to get people to the clinic or to the or to Adventist um, to get vaccinated as quickly as possible. Some were sent to public health, some were sent to the jail, um, and there was just a massive crush to get it out and into people as quickly as possible. I don't know if there were any individual phone calls that went out. Um, I'm speaking sort of more of a call in terms of a metaphorical concept. But I'm sure there were as well individual phone calls. I just don't know. So we don't know who decided who to give these to. And somehow or another, they missed vaccinating everybody in the jail, who we know has a huge outbreak. Right, so the I mean, the problem with the jail... How is, that, how is that acceptable? No, I agree. It's 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 extremely frustrating. And, and the reality, unfortunately, is now with 90 people infected in the, in the jail, those people aren't going to be a candidate for the vaccine for quite a while until they've recovered from, from their illness. And, you know, that, that 90 um, is certainly going to grow before, you know, the remaining 180 or 200 or however many are in the jail at this point in time um, could get the vaccine. So it's... It's quite frustrating to me. I, you know, I have argued consistently and repeatedly that the jail population, along with the nursing home population, needs to be really made the priority because these are the people who are going to do poorly when they get COVID. Um, and you know, it would have been nice if they had picked up all 840 doses and rushed to county jail and gone down from one cell to the next and administered it to everybody. But I don't think that the logistics would have allowed that to happen within two hours. So who did get the shot? 
I, I don't have that information, frankly. I, I know that a large amount went to public health, um, and they gave it to people who are working there. Some inmates got it. A lot of sheriff deputies got it, um, or some did, perhaps. But I, I really don't have the information as to who got all of the shots. All I know is so that— So now that we know— uh-huh. So now that we know this kind of failure can happen, yeah. although most people would have told you you were a conspiracy theorist if you had talked about this two days ago. Um, so now that we know it can line up and it can happen, is there any excuse for by tomorrow us not having a list with all the phone numbers on it of the people that are the priorities so there is absolutely no question what's going to happen the next time somebody decides disconnect the alarm. No, I, I, I hear you. I mean, I'm not going to go down the conspiracy wormhole, certainly. Um, you know, there, there are cases being nationally reported as to, you know, anti-vaxxers, you know, leaving vaccines out and it's spoiling. But um, I, I certainly think that the County Department of Public Health needs to have a publicly available list of when and who is eligible for the vaccine. And there needs to be some sort of notification system put into place. That hasn't happened yet. I think they're working on it. Whether it's going to happen this week or tomorrow, certainly not. Uh, or whether it's going to still take another month or two, I don't know. It's frustrating to me as a healthcare provider to see um, this vaccine sitting here once it gets here. We can't control at this point. We can't control how much vaccine we're getting from California, um, but we sure as heck can control what we do with it once it gets here. Yeah, the fact that they had to lickety-split get it out into people's arms shows that that is possible. Uh, Maybe not in the order that that is ideal, but uh, it does feel like we're in a situation that's just as dire as the compressor going down in that every day, every week that we wait, more people are getting sick and more people will die. You know, the, the, the sort of the, the, the morbid um, sort of expression in healthcare is, you know, complex systems fail in complex ways, right? And so we're dealing with a fairly fragile vaccine. Things will fall apart. And, you know, it's, it's, it's inevitable that compressors are going to fail or you're going to have some wingnut employee somewhere who takes the vaccine and leaves it out. But that won't happen once it's into somebody's arm and it really just needs to that needs to be the focus that needs to be the singular focus we have a way to stop this pandemic and while it's trickling into this county uh, it needs to be utilized immediately upon arrival all right let's take our next call good afternoon caller you're live on the air hi um uh, doctor you seem to be optimistic about the situation in the bay area but on monday i guess that was dr trotter he seemed to more prone to draw the line between the uh, uh, mega death zone and the pandemic as usual area, just very little south of us currently. And in particular, they were mentioning a, a pretty bad situation in Petaluma. And I just uh, I wondered what you thought about that difference between that, those yeah. two, you know, Bay Area is okay. Is it really? Uh, and incidentally, the other thing is, uh, I'm I'm looking for a place to sign up to be uh, flying standby on the on the vaccines to waste. The, I don't let's hope day. that we don't have any more of these crises. Yeah. Um, I, I frankly think I mean Petaluma is in a bit of a crunch, but Petaluma doesn't exist. Um, in isolation and so it's it's part of the network that you know both extends up to here and into the bay area and i i don't want to convey optimism about the bay area capacity it's just not as bad um as it is just about everywhere else in california yeah Yeah. and you know whether we get through on the thinnest of ice over the course of the next month or whether things crash and really fall apart in the way that they are in los angeles i don't know you know they're using a lot of excess capacity right now in Los Angeles with, you know, mash tents and, you know, it's just really very dramatically stretched down there. And when it gets stretched, what happens is you start to ration care and you are forced to deliver inferior care, which, you know, not only extends to people with COVID, but it extends to anybody with appendicitis or a heart attack or a stroke or and everything else that is occurring right alongside this pandemic. Um, and so if that were to, you know, reach us in this county, I don't frankly think our surge capacity is going to be anywhere close to 45 ICU beds because that number, you know, requires 
substantial outside support. And I just don't think there's limitless outside support in this county as we are seeing the surge statewide. They have all been soaked up already. Yes. Okay, thank you. All right, thanks for the call. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Hi, I I think you're talking about the vaccinations that took place at the hospital? Uh, Amongst other things, yes. Yeah, and so one of the things I was concerned about was I know that a number of medical people were able to get the, the vaccination and some of the people at the thing, but I understand as well some of my friends who were able to get the vaccination was because uh, they were told by staff people who were working there because they were told, call your friends and family. We need to get shots out of here quickly. So that's how the word got out through parts of the community was through actual uh, person-to-person contacts, calling who were aware of what was going on and were able to call people. Yeah, and again, you know, that really just serves to serves to illustrate why we have such disparities in healthcare in this country. I mean, it was a crisis, to be sure, and I'm not sure it could have been better handled. But, you know, it's, it's kind of, unf- it's quite unfortunate when doctors are calling their friends and saying, get to the hospital and get a COVID vaccine, even though you're not Tier 1A. You know, that's not happening right. with the Latinx community. There are not a lot of, you know, migrant field workers who were privy to the fact that we're giving out vaccines at Adventist, right? Exactly. The other thing, too, is that um, knowing a few friends who work in the medical industry, um, in, the, in the development, they actually work where uh, medicines are made and stuff. When you have that type of equipment, deep, deep freeze equipment, and it's used quite extensively throughout uh, those type of manufacturing facilities, those development facilities, they do have alarms on them, but they also know that alarms are affected by the cold and by by their construction. So they have protocols in place where somebody continually checks on the monitor on the gauge, just a regular gauge on the side, periodically as they pass by. Uh, it's like once an hour, somebody needs to take a peek at the gauge, make sure everything's running. And... I know that uh, that was also, I just looked it up in the Internet, so that was one of the guidelines and one of the ideas given out by the CDC and from one of the manufacturers. Make, don't count on automatic systems. Make sure somebody's monitoring it. Right. And, you know, um, that's, you know, it, I can speak with some experience um, having worked for a couple of years in a research lab, but also just being on the board of the local health center here. You know, somebody has to write down the temperature log every single day um, for the right. medicine vac- for the medicine refrigerator. That's just part of the protocol, and that's required federally. I don't know, you know, frankly, whether there was a failure to sort of track the vaccine's freezer's temperature at 8 a.m. versus 11 a.m. I just don't know what the the protocol was in our pharmacy. What frustrates me is that there were so many vaccines sitting in that deep freezer. Um, and that's that's right. that's the real source of frustration for me. But as you point out, mechanical systems fail, human systems certainly fail. Um, and this may have been a, you know, a a binary sort of failure, um, but it certainly was a mechanical failure first and then a scrambled recovery, but again, an, a, a partial recovery. All right. right. Thanks, and and I, I'm hoping they, the Adventist group, I mean, I know that the, I believe the county is responsible for the distribution and, and they've entrusted the Adventist hospital to help them with that project. And I'm hoping they've kind of take a look at that and say, okay, we need to set up a little bit better safeguard protocol to make sure that uh, we're keeping an eye on this stuff. So just in case it doesn't go off again, somebody did catch it. That would have given, at least they would have had at least a lot more time uh, had it been physically seen uh, to to get it distributed, to get it to the people that needed to have it. Sure. And right now I can say, you know, the county, it, at the outset, uh, you know, a month ago when the vaccine arrived, or three weeks ago when the vaccine arrived, the county did not have a deep freezer to accommodate the temperature requirements of this vaccine. They do now. Um, they're getting a second one um, as of maybe even today or tomorrow. Um, Adventist is in the process of getting a replacement freezer in. Um, so, you know, There's going to be new equipment, which, you know, may also fail. Who knows? Um, But frankly, I would like to see things not kept in deep freeze very long at all. All right, Colin, thanks for the call. 
Thank you. Um, for Bye-bye. people who want to see what the county has to say about this, there was a, an update at the Board of Supervisors meeting yesterday by Public Health Officer Dr. Andy Corrin and also by officials from Adventist. And also the people at the county who are responsible, uh, their job is to um, organize the rollout. Um, Nash Gonzalez and Adrian Thompson, I think, are their names. And they all spoke to the board and answered their questions about this. So if you're curious about uh, the nuts and bolts, the numbers of vaccines that were compromised and, and that stuff, check out the Board of Supervisors meeting. It's fascinating viewing, of course, uh, but it, it is interesting. Um, and it's on the Mendocino County YouTube page. I think it's the it was the very beginning of the first session. Uh, from yeah, yesterday. I, I think that meeting only ran eight and a half hours. Well, this so. is just the first yeah. hour. Yeah. If right. you've got an hour in the internet and yeah. time to yeah. kill and yeah. lots of questions. Yeah. Um, okay. We have an email. All right. So we have three emails, Dr. Colfax. I can't um, see them, but you can Hi, read I'm not able to use the phone. How many doses of vaccine have been delivered into the county? When? How many doses have been administered to date? When is the next delivery of vaccines expected? And is there a schedule for future deliveries? Well, that those are all extremely good questions. Um, and frankly, I am somewhat frustrated that we can't get straight answers to that. It appears that we're going to be getting around 900 doses a week. Um, that's what Dr. Corrin said yesterday. Um, the first doses around arrived on the 17th of December, 16th of December, I believe. First first vaccines were given the next day. Um, As of now, I don't think we've given more than about 700 vaccines um, outside of this failure. So we might be at 1,500 total vaccines administered in this county so far. The repeat boosters of the Pfizer vaccine, which is the first one that arrived in the county, are going to be given, um, we're going to start actually giving them today, I believe, um, certainly tomorrow um, is my understanding, and I don't think that that was... um, I don't think that that was messed up due to this freezer failure. Um, I, I, I don't think this involved any of the Pfizer vaccine. And ongoing clinics are organized to... Ongoing, yeah. So the county's trying to organize some sort of ongoing um, vaccination clinic uh, throughout clinics throughout the county. That hasn't yet really been publicized as to when it's going to um, come to fruition, where it's going to be, or what sort of schedule it's going to be on. That needs to happen. Um, people need to know who and when and where we're going to get vaccines. But what I understand is we are going to be getting about 900 vaccines um, per week into the county. Um, but again, it you know that that means 450 people vaccinated per week in this county, which unfortunately puts us at a very long time frame before yeah. we get some degree of immunity in this county. Here's another email. Uh, please ask Dr. Colfax the following: Are you are you good time wise? Sure. Okay. Um, what else are we gonna do? My wife and I are high risk, 70 year old. What would be Dr. Colfax's best guess as to when we might be vaccinated? Would you advise against RV camping at this time, assuming masking, social distancing, hand washing, and being away from people? Yeah, so good question. I, you know, my best guess for somebody 70 plus um, right now in this county, maybe late winter, um, you know, maybe maybe March, um, hopefully April. Um, but those are, you know, that's subject to a lot of variables. If we're only getting 900 doses a week and we have a very long list before it would arrive to people who are just getting it on the basis of age, uh, it might be even a bit longer than March or April. However, we're only dealing with two vaccines right now, and there are a lot of others out there that are hopefully going to come through. Um, The one I've been watching is the Johnson & Johnson one, which is in Phase 3 and looking very promising. They are ready to ramp up and produce 1 billion doses. Um, That's B with a a billion. So that that could really significantly um, increase our county's allotment of vaccine. Whether that starts to come in in March or April or May or not at all when they unfortunately fail their vaccine trial remains to be seen. So part two of your question, is it okay to camp? 
Uh, sure, yes, maybe. I don't know. I've been in Yosemite Valley. It's like a city there, so Yosemite Valley, no. Um, but if you're able to get to a campsite that's not crowded and you're not tempted to go around other people, go for it. I just spent the last couple days out in the National Forest with my family and hence missed Monday's show and Adventist Mayhem. Um, so it was a very well-timed um, escape for me personally. That being said, everything involves risks. And if you're a high-risk 70-year-old, you know, you just need to be extremely careful, right? Sitting at home and getting depressed also involves a fair amount of risk. So I think camping and getting outside is a great option. But don't go to a local tavern on your way to the campsite. Speaking of having plenty of vaccines in the county, um, one of the things that was reported at the Board of Supervisors meeting was that they're really struggling trying to find staff who can uh, who can make it all happen yeah so, so that's, that's, we're limited by our personnel as well well we're not I'd actually i oh, okay. i I, I, th- I think that's a a red herring i mean there's not a lot of staff at at the county level but there are a lot of nurses and doctors um through the healthcare system in this county who are willing to provide time um and help the county staff these centers that is not a problem whatsoever and frankly i know that adventist is actually willing to pay its nurses to staff those centers as well so you know the county just needs to you know figure out how to make a system work where we utilize all the resources that we have standing by all right we do have another email okay um this one is a question about the the failure of the freezer and and the aftermath of that um do you know whether there was any outreach to the latinx community when adventist health discovered they needed to immediately distribute the vaccine does adventist know what percent of the people who received the vaccine on monday were latinx hispanic I, I don't know the answer to either of those questions. Um, yeah, I, I just don't have that data. And I frankly don't even know if anybody has the the distribution data on who got the vaccine and sort of what demographic uh, characteristics those individuals had. As for any calls that went out to the community, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't here. I wasn't privy, privy to sort of how it happened. I do know that it had to happen in a mad crush. All right, let's take another call. Oh, they left. Good afternoon, caller. You are live on the air. Yes, thanks for taking my call. Boy, you know, a lot of this reporting really speaks to the fragility of our care system and trying to layer vaccine distribution on it. But my question has to do with um, the situation with the Kaiser facility down in the South Bay and the 60 or so folks in the um, the emergency department who had tested positive over this one super spreader event. And I guess my question has to do with, do we know anything more on whether it has something to do with the variant, but also what does it mean for the capacity um, and whether this ripples across in the area? And do we really have to worry about our healthcare facilities being also super spreaders? Yeah, so that was sort of one of those unfortunate incidences where somebody was wearing a air-powered costume, which if you haven't seen one, um, it involves sort of a plasticized suit that you get into. And I think this one was in the shape of a Trinosaurus Rex. And it has a battery-powered pump, which powers air into the suit, um, inflating it around the person who's inside it. They are quite amusing looking. I will say that, having seen them. But when you're blowing air into a suit and the person inside that suit has COVID, all of that COVID-infecting air is leaking out of the suit. And this person, as a sort of a joke, I guess, or as a way to cheer up staff, went into the ER in their Triosaurus Rex suit and spread COVID uh, from this unfortunate um, outfit. So it was really not... um, something that we should see replicated too often, uh, frankly. It's one of these one-off and very unfortunate events. We know that hospitals and clinics can have events where it is transmitted amongst uh, personnel. But we also have seen time and time again that if we follow sort of these universal precautions for COVID for, with which we are all now quite apt, um, that we really actually don't see a lot of spreading um, either from one individual to the next who works in the hospital or from patient to patient within hospital. So we're not seeing a lot of hospital to hospital transmission. That's just not happening. And the reason why it's not happening 
find, fortunately, is that all this PPE that we need and we blow through very quickly actually works. Um, and a huge component of that PPE is the facial covering. So it would be nice if we had 100% facial covering 100% of the time. But, you know, we've, we've been in the weeds on that for, what, 10 months now, Alicia? It's been a lot of months. Yeah. Many, many, many months. <laughs> <laughs> all right, caller, thanks so much for the question. Thank you. Um, we do have an email question, uh, and then maybe we'll take one more call. Sure. Um, so this person says, you mentioned the Latino community is disproportionately affected by COVID. We have a large population of Latino farm workers. How much personal information is necessary to receive a vaccine? Is citizenship necessary? And what advocacy is in place to encourage non-citizens to pursue getting a vaccine without fear of being reported and or deported? Yeah, excellent question. Citizenship is not required. Um, and personal information is really um, phone number and address so we can contact, you know, the person can be contacted to come back for the booster. It's not that this is reported anywhere. Um, it is retained in terms of tracking um, adverse events, um, but that's actually mostly on the recipient of the vaccine uh, to report any adverse events rather than on any sort of county or statewide um, policy or program. In terms of outreach, I think a lot of that outreach, uh, for better or for worse, is falling um, on the local health centers uh, throughout the county. Um, and I know that they have made an extremely um, concerted effort to try to educate and get people in, um, both for the influenza vaccine earlier in the fall, but also once we get to sort of more widespread vaccination administration in this county to try to get the um, farm worker community in for vaccines. That's still a ways off, unfortunately. I mean, we're, we're looking at probably, again, March, April, maybe May before we start to get to um, farm worker vaccination programs. All right. Thanks for the question. And let's take our last call. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Hello. As a younger, not super young person, my, my biggest fear is making other people sick and, and having them end up in the hospital or dying or something. And I'm concerned about other people who have, you know, if we've had 30-something deaths in this county, that means some of those people, they know who, they know they made someone sick. And so I've had two concerns. One is those people who are older and will be able to get the vaccine before us younger people, I want, and you're, you're not sure if you want to take it, I want you to think a little bit about the mental health of anyone who would, have got, who would get you sick. Like if you do end up having a bad outcome, think about those folks, not just your fears of vaccines. And then also, do you know of any support groups or support for these, these people who have infected people and had, who've had bad, bad outcomes and if there's like county health or, or national support groups or anything? Yeah, so that you make a good point um, in terms of you know protecting others by getting vaccinated, and frankly, that's sort of the moral uh, requirement of getting any sort of vaccine. Is it, it may not be necessary for you, but it is necessary to protect community health. That's how uh, herd immunity works, um, and there are you know very small numbers of people who can't receive some vaccines and they need to be protected by a very high degree of uptake of any vaccine. COVID is really magnifying um, that, that sort of dynamic. We want as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible. And as a healthcare worker, I would like to know that I am immune as soon as possible because I am seeing very sick people, many of whom have weakened immune systems, almost all of whom have some risk factors for doing poorly with COVID. And the last thing I want to do is be an asymptomatic carrier um, going from room to room on a, on a shift before I spike a fever. Um, now, that that's mitigated quite a bit by a risk, by hand washing, by mask wearing, by gowning up, but it's not entirely eliminated. And so I think it's incumbent certainly upon people who are in contact with um, the population in some way, and particularly in healthcare, to get the vaccine um, as soon as it's possible. As for your second question in terms of support group, I don't know of any off the top of my head. Um, you know, there is obviously um, crisis um, lines that are available just generally for mental health. But as for a COVID support group, I, I don't know of one. Um, I can speak from personal experience. It is not 
a pleasant thing to tell somebody that they have COVID um, and then watch that person realize who or whom they've been in contact with for the preceding three to five days. That is really something that is heartbreaking because I have seen it play out over and over again when I tell a 20-year-old that he or she has COVID and they realize that they had dinner with their grandparents 48 hours ago and I have to tell them that those grandparents are at high risk of getting COVID and doing quite poorly. That's not fun. So it's it's really, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking to have to break that news um, and it really speaks to the need for us to work together and pull together as a community until we get to a point where we're vaccinated and we're going to get to that point it's just going to be a long year you know we looked forward to the end of 2020 but unfortunately 2021 is you know going to be a bit of a slog before we get um, to the summer well one of the silver linings i'm hoping is going to come out of this is that we will remember how good and important it is to be together face to face uh we've I think over the last decade or so, we've really sort of allowed the internet and social media to kind of come in and take over a lot of our social interactions, or at least, you know, younger generations have. And it's going to be nice to be around people again, I think. I'm kind of becoming an introvert in my old age, and I kind of still want to be around a lot of people after this. Well, I'm also hoping that there'll be a ground cell support for, you know, science and public health, but we'll see. Dare to dream. Yes. This is great. Um, all right. Well, let's leave it at that. Yeah, that's a 52-minute show. I so, know. Yeah. People are always begging for an hour. Oh, so, you oh. know, we, we tried it out. And there's still callers. So, uh, haven't haven't gotten to the end yet. But we are going to leave it there. Uh, and we're going to see you on Monday. Yes, Monday I'll be here. 2 o'clock on Friday, we'll be here with the county's coronavirus briefing. We'll be live streaming that. I believe we'll have a Q&A with Dr. Andy Corrin, if he's still speaking to us, our public health officer. <laughs> I don't think anybody's attacked Dr. Corrin in any undue way. No, and you know what? We're all just figuring it out. So, you know, just keep the conversation happening. And uh, it's really good when he comes on so that we can hear how much work the county is doing and what the things that they are struggling with. It's It just gives us some very good perspective. So hopefully <laughs> he'll be here 3 o'clock on Friday. That's the plan anyway. And then you'll be back Monday at 3 o'clock with more local coronavirus news. Indeed. All right. Thanks a lot, Drew. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you, callers. Be Thanks, safe. Thanks, callers. That was great. Um, and we're just going to take a little breather now. It looks like the, the Congress is getting ready to reconvene and go back to certifying the I, I think the you election. should just put Ray Charles back on for <laughs> I'm going to put Tori Amos on. All right. Uh, not quite as substantial but still good uh so but when we come back at five o'clock with all things considered they're going to have the latest update on that electoral college vote certification by congress and what's going on in dc so stay tuned for that we're just going to take a little beautiful music breather here and again thanks for listening this is kzyx nz Christ, we all say cheers. Could this be the one? You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXNZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. This podcast is made possible by funding from the Mask Awareness Project of North Coast Opportunities. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.